This morning, our sermon text comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is God's Word. Last week we looked at the the glorious rabbit trail in which the Apostle Paul took us to show, kind of unveil, to uncover the mystery that he was speaking about there in chapter 2. And he started out with his thought at the beginning of chapter 3 when he said, for this reason, and he paused. He stopped and he took us down that rabbit trail so we could understand the depth of what it is that he was talking about. Because chapter 2, he spoke about that the Jew and the Gentile would come together in one body in Christ Jesus, and that together they would be made a temple for God, that they would be built up as a household of God. And in verse 22, that they would be built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's the reason why Paul bends his knee. Paul bends his knee to pray that the church would be built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so there we see Paul praying. We look at our text, we can easily see that Paul is praying. He's in a posture of reverence. He bows before the sovereignty of God. Because if you come before the throne of grace, you're coming before the sovereign that is upon his throne. We have to remember that when we pray. Because there we are being shown here by Paul, we're being instructed here by Paul that we are to be praying. We're to be praying for something. And here Paul doesn't just focus on his physical circumstance. So much of our prayers are so filled with what's going on in our life and how things are in our life and why things, the hardships, and those aren't wrong. Those are good things to pray for. But here the Apostle Paul wants to show us that we need to go deeper, especially as a church. As a church, that we need to pray in this way. We need to pray for these things. It's pretty fitting at this time in the life of our church that we hear the instruction of the Apostle Paul. We're getting ready to become a particularized church. That's a big deal. That's a wonderful uh, event in the life of the church. But that means that we're coming from an infancy stage and we're starting to take the steps to begin to mature. And as we begin to mature, we can't get off the rails. We can't lose track of why it is that we are becoming a church. And why it is that we're maturing as a church and what we're called to be is that we're to be built into a dwelling place for God. 
And so as we take that next step, we need to know it's crucial for us to remember that we're not a church simply because of our presence. Just because of us that are sitting here in the chairs today, that doesn't make us a church. Okay? There are a lot of people in this world that are gathering together, coming together for a common purpose. That doesn't make them a church. Okay? It doesn't make them a church. You kind of think about at a wedding that we come together, we come to celebrate a wedding, but if the bride and the groom don't show up, if their presence isn't made known, it's not really a wedding. And so with the church, it's the same. Because for us to be a church, we have to have the presence of God. We have to have the indwelling of God. That's what makes us a church. That's what makes us a church. And we need God's presence. One theologian put it this way. Edmund Cloudy wrote these words, that God's presence makes us his people. Do you believe that? Is there something else that you believe that makes you who you are as God's people, as God's children? He goes on to say, and he says, God makes presence makes us his people. The presence of Jesus constitutes the church as his temple. Built of living stones, joined to him as God's elect stone. The church itself is a temple, the house of God, sanctified by the presence of the Spirit. There, what Clowney was saying, what he understood, and that we need to understand, is that the church is who she is because of the presence of the triune God within her. The triune God that's within her. And Paul knows this too. And we need to know this. Paul's prayer should persuade us. It should encourage us to be a praying church. Who is it that we're praying to? Why is it that we're praying? Is it just a circumstantial prayer that we're looking to lift up before the Father? Are we looking for some other circumstance? That's what we as a church need to be praying for. We need to be a house of prayer as Isaiah, as we read in Isaiah today. We need to understand that we are made up of all types of people being built up into a dwelling place for the Lord. Church, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you see that? There, what the Apostle Paul wants to tell us is what we should pray for so we can realize that. That we can realize that. And what he's going to pray for isn't things on the outside. It's things on the inside. That's where it first begins. That's where it first begins. So what we should be praying for, Paul tells us that we should pray for three things for us to be built into that dwelling place. We're to pray first for spiritual power. These are not shallow things the Apostle Paul is having us pray for. These are not shallow things that the Apostle Paul is praying for. There we should pray for one, spiritual power, two, Christian faith, and three, experiential knowledge. 
experiential knowledge. There, the Apostle Paul is praying that God's dwelling, God's indwelling presence would be known through those three things. Through those three things. So let's look at the first one. Spiritual power. What kind of strength does the church need? That's what Paul answers here. Paul answers that here in verses 14 through 16. We see from a 30,000 foot overview of what the scriptures are saying in the entire text is that God, the power that we need is that spiritual power that comes from the triune God. We see that in verse 14, that the, the power that is being derived and what Paul is petitioning the, the Father for, that power is from the Father. And then we see in verse 16 that the power that Paul is petitioning is the power that comes from the Spirit. And then we see in verse 17 the power from Christ, a triune power. We should be amazed that Paul is praying for that, praying for that. Do we believe that we can really receive the spiritual power of God? That's the reason why we don't pray it. That's why we don't ask, because we don't believe it, or we don't see the need in it. And so then the Apostle Paul begins there in 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He's speaking to those that were far off. They had to be brought nigh to the blood of Christ. There in Ephesians 2, we see the description of those who were enemies. They were once dead and their sins, but yet God loved them. And so there, what is important for the church, it's important for the church of Ephesus to know, is who their father is. Because by their father, whoever their father is, that's their identity in this world. That's the name by which they can claim. And so there, the Apostle Paul is trying to tell the church. He told the church at the end, don't worry about my circumstance. I don't want you to focus on that. And he doesn't want them to focus on their present circumstance. He wants them to focus on their spiritual circumstance. He wants them to understand that you are being empowered by the indwelling of the Father. And here it says that, that the way that that power will come, that spiritual power that is very instructive, instructive for us as we pray, is by the granting of the Father. By the granting of the Father. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But God who is the sovereign, the Father, the Father above all fatherhoods. That's who Paul's praying to here. That should give confidence to the church. Confidence that they can uh, grow and mature and be built up into a dwelling place for God. If you just took a second right now and thought, can I really grow up and be built into a dwelling place for God? If God's your father, you can. If God's your father 
and he has granted you the power to do so, then does anyone doubt that you can do that? That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that there the Father, I am bowing my knees to the Father of all fatherhoods. There is no greater Father than God. And I am begging and asking of Him, I am petitioning Him to grant me with power that I don't have. That's what the church must do. That's what the church must do. But he also points to where is that power coming from? And here he uses those words, the riches of his glory. Okay? The riches of his glory. We can measure our riches. We can measure other people's riches. But how do you measure the riches of God? How do you measure the wealth of God? All that God is. And then you have this juxtaposition that it is of his glory. That Paul is petitioning the Father to grant power to the church out of the whole character of God. Wow. That's a power you can believe in. That's a power that you can trust. And then he goes on and he says that he is praying and petitioning for a power which is through the Spirit in your inner being. He's praying for a spiritual power that comes from the Holy Spirit. From the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, dwelling, living in you, and that word lends to more, not I mean, he's just coming to visit, but that he's taking up permanent resonance in you. That's very powerful to think about. That means I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to depart with you. Through the good times, through the bad times, through the struggles internally and all the afflictions from within, I am permanently going to dwell in you, to empower you, to strengthen you. How? But through his spirit in your inner being. In other words, I'm going to get to the central core of who you are and place my power in you. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is not something that we're going to achieve outside of us. Because it's not within our power to create that power. It's not within us to derive that power outside of us. It must be a power that lives within us and comes out of us. That empowers us. So it has to be placed in the inner being. In the inner being. So Paul is telling us that spiritual power comes from God and not from us. It's not a result of what we do. We don't claim it, believe it, and declare it, and therefore we got spiritual power. It's not how it works. But it's something that God does. God grants, and the Holy Spirit builds it in us, strengthens us. Okay, And so the, the way that Paul wants us to understand this power, it's received and experienced. You kind of hear that in the language. That's action language, being strengthened. You're to experience the power. You're not just to look at the power abstractly, but you're to experience the power. 
It's not a power that we conjure up and contrived. We are totally dependent upon God for this power. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that? If we believe that, we need to pray for dependence upon God. We need to pray that the power we're depending upon is the same power that Paul is praying, which is found in the inner being. Found in the inner being. Have you heard that song? I'm sure many of you have. Heard the song by Mariah Carey. It's called Hero. It's a beautiful song. It has powerful lyrics, moving lyrics, persuasive lyrics. The chorus goes like this. So when you feel like hope is gone, look inside you and be strong. And you'll finally see the truth that a hero lies in you. Is that the power in the inner being that Paul is talking about? Is that personal resolve of perseverance that's being sung about, that's being persuaded uh, to, to look to and to really look for? Is that the power in the inner being that, the, that Paul's praying for? Is Paul praying for a strength that's found in you that comes from you? That's where the rubber meets the road. That if you are really living after the power of the Spirit in your inner being, you are depending upon a power that is not from you. You are depending upon a power that is from God. And is that a strength what is being sung there, is that a strength that you can depend upon? Is that a true power? Think about how you've been resolved in life on something. And when hardships come, how easily you get shaken from that. And it overwhelms you and it overcomes you. Well, that's not a power worth trusting. But a power that comes from the Holy Spirit where no matter what conflict or emotional distress that's going on with inside of you and that there's just this peace somehow in the midst of the storm, that's not from you. That's from the Holy Spirit. And so I think we should pray for a greater power, a lasting power, a spiritual power that can withstand any attack from our enemies. Think about why does God give you power? Why does God give the church power? Why is it necessary for us to have spiritual power? Because we have enemies in this world. There are very real enemies to the church that can destroy the church. It can destroy the church from within, and it can destroy the church from without. And it can destroy greater hope. If we don't have the spiritual power of God in the inner being. We will be shaken in the moments of storms. We'll be shaken when philosophies come and try to overwhelm the teaching and the instruction of this church. But if we are not empowered by the Holy Spirit to recognize it, first of all, and then to fight against it, it will overcome you. Paul speaks of those enemies later on in chapter 6 when he says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Those are powerful enemies. Those are powerful enemies. They're working behind the scenes and you don't even know they're working. They're working in a way to influence your life now, to influence this church. And so we need the light. We need the power of God's grace in us that it can be the victory that's overcoming all of our enemies. Okay? And so another way that we can kind of put it is that the church has three enemies. It has the enemy of the world, the flesh, and the devil. You think about when people go to war and you're fighting an enemy. When one country's fighting another country, who's going to win? The one who has the most power, who has the greater power. That may not be in numbers. may not be in who has the most weapons. We've seen it throughout history. That nations that should not have won, have won. Because they had a power that the other nation did not have. And that is how it is for the child of God. That is how it is for the church. That there are going to be enemies, very real enemies, that will do damage to us. Let's just take one of these enemies, the flesh. Let's draw a picture of how it attacks the church. I want to focus on one way that the flesh attacks the church, and that's through doubt. Doubt. That internal power that manifests itself through doubt to undermine the confidence and the faith of the church. To undermine the confidence and the faith of the church. What do I mean there? Think about it. Have you ever doubted God's love? Be truthful. Have you really? Have you ever doubted God's love? And so have you ever doubted God's power? Is God able to save you? Do you really believe he has power to save you? Or better question, do you really believe that God has power to save the criminal? Does God have power to save the murderer? Does God have that kind of power? Or do you doubt that God would save a criminal? Have you ever doubted God's faithfulness? Meaning that you doubt he's going to show up when I really need him to show up. Well, the church needs to pray. They don't have that doubt. They need to believe that God is a faithful God that will show up among the church and abide with the church. And so what is that doubt? Is that a product of the Spirit working in you? Or is it the product of the flesh working in you? Working after the flesh. The Spirit is not going to produce things that are contrary to the peace and the power and the knowledge which He is working in you. Because there the flesh is at war against the Spirit. Those forces, those powers... That flesh is a powerful thing because it's going to appeal to something. It's going to appeal to you, to your affections, to your desires. 
and appeal in a way that will convince you that you really got to have it. But the Holy Spirit is working a life in you and a power within you to show you your power in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. And so we have to resist the flesh by growing in the Spirit. How do we grow in the Spirit? How do we live in the Spirit? How do we depend upon the Spirit and walk in the Spirit? we got to get about the things of the Spirit. If you're out there staying outside of church, you're not doing the things that please the spirits. If that Bible is staying closed throughout the week, you're not doing the things, the business of the spirits. We are not going to control and manipulate the spirits, but it is by those means, those precious things that the spirit has given to us that we can experience the abiding of the spirit. Pray to God. Read his word. Gather with the people of God. Be about the business of the Spirit, and there you will experience the power of the Spirit. But pray for it. Don't doubt it. And so to be empowered in the Spirit, we're not to be complacent. That's why Paul's using the words there in verse 16, strengthen with power, that there is a growing. There's not just remaining where you start, but you're going to grow if you're a child of God. If you're a church, we can't just be complacent. What we have today, to show the world that we believe in the power of God and that we truly possess the spiritual power, we need to be about the business of the Spirit being built as a dwelling place for the Lord. So we have to ask ourselves, do we really want to go up against our enemies with only the inner strength sung about in the song Hero? Those enemies are powerful. Or do we want to go up against our enemies with the power and strength that Paul prays for, the power and strength that comes from God? If we truly see the need for spiritual power, then we will pray for it. Will you pray for it? Will we as a church pray for it? That God, you would grant us the spiritual power in the inner being through your spirit. Through your spirit. And so that leads us to the second thing we should be praying for. The church should be praying for a Christian faith. That seems obvious. If Paul is speaking to a church, church of Ephesus, they should already have Christian faith. They should already have faith. But there it's telling us that we need to be sure that the faith that we have really is a Christian faith. Really is a Christian faith. We see there in verse 17, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Faith is the method, it's the instrument by which we're obtaining the benefits of Christ indwelling us. There, God, out of the operation of his love and his grace, has worked faith in us. 
that we can experience the indwelling of Christ Jesus. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. And there, we hear that it's, it's to obtain the benefits of Christ Jesus. What are the benefits of Christ Jesus' indwelling presence? Paul there speaks that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth. The benefits of the indwelling Christ that we receive through faith is love. Love is the separator. Love is the distinction between a true Christian faith and a false faith. Consider the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's probably one of the most terrifying passages in all the word of God. That says if you depend upon your works, you depend upon your commitment, you depend upon your own faithfulness. That's not true Christian faith. Because true Christian faith abides in the love of God. There when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. He's saying, I never had a love relationship with you. You didn't love me. You came to me through your religious practices. You've done what you've done because of what you see of me. And know of me, but not because you love me. And that's what here the Apostle Paul is saying. That for you to have a true Christian faith, it must be rooted and grounded in love. It must be saturated with the love of God. It must be planted in the ground and the roots must go down and they must go down deep. And draw not from your own inner power, but from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what that love is. It's a love that says, I can love because God first loved me. There, to be rooted and established in love means that the church could be secure. They could be sure in this world. Because what a true Christian faith does, and this is what the church really has to pray for. It embraces the love of Christ and the vastness of the love of Christ, right? Paul is saying there that he wants the church to comprehend. He wants the church to understand, to grasp, to apprehend, to come into possession, not just intellectually, but to truly come to know the vastness of the love of God. The vastness of the love of God. 
we probably say to ourselves, if we're truthful, how can we possibly understand everything about God's love? There you have dimensions. It's telling, telling us that what Paul is praying for is that the church would know all the dimensions of God's love, all the vastness of God's love. One preacher put it this way, and I think it's very helpful, is that here you see the teaching and instruction that what Paul is asking for the church to know is the concept, the conceptual knowledge of God's love, meaning that we can understand, we can really apprehend that God's love is so big that we can't comprehend it, but we need it. We got to have it. We need to understand it and know it. And so when we think about Christ's love, can we come to the understanding, are you able to understand it? Is the church able to understand that Christ's love is perfect? It's a love that casts out fear. That's pretty powerful. Christ's love is sacrificial. Christ's love has no bounds. Christ's love never fails. Christ's love never ends. Christ's love is powerful. We could go on and on and on and on and never plumb the depths of God's love in Christ Jesus. But we are to understand how vast that love truly is. And the reason why we're to understand that is because it establishes us on a firm foundation in this world that we won't be moved. We can be sure that we're going to be kept secure in this life, that the church will prevail, that the church will not be destroyed. And so there we see a great teaching that Christ's love is one that keeps the church secure no matter what her circumstance is. Because a Christian faith embraces the vastness of Christ's love. That's what a true Christian faith is. Without love, it's not faith. That's clearly what Paul's saying here. Without the love of Christ, it's not faith. It looks like faith, it walks like faith, talks like faith, but it's not faith. Therefore, the church should pray that they have a true Christian faith. Do you believe that Christ's love is the only security that we have in this world? What secures you in this world? Do you only have a head knowledge about Christ's love? Meaning that you just know about Christ's love. Okay? We can come to a head knowledge of Christ's love where we can know what God did to display his love in the world by sending his son. You can hear those words and you can know those words, but has it penetrated your heart that you love that word, that you desire that word, that you feed upon that word? Do you believe you know all there is to know about Christ's love? That's the danger, isn't it? I've got a hold of what Christ's love is. And I don't, I don't really think about or pray that grow me more in Christ's love. 
We can forget. We can minimize Christ's love by becoming complacent or indifferent to Christ's love. And so we need to pray for a Christian faith that we can embrace the fullness of God's love. And so that's bringing us to our final point. Our final point that Paul tells us that a church, a praying church, needs to pray for. It needs to pray for experiential knowledge. Here the Apostle Paul says in verse 19 that he is praying that we would know, that the church would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So you can know what is unknowable. So that you can come into knowledge of that which is beyond knowledge. But yet, that's what the Apostle Paul prays for. That's what the Apostle Paul is praying for. And the reason why he's praying for that is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Throughout all the language here in our sermon text, you can almost see that Paul's like drawing that building. He's telling you it's vast, it's wide, and it's filled with the presence of God. When it's filled with God's presence, then it's filled with the fullness of God. When the temple was built, there we had the presence of God come and dwell in the temple. More importantly, in the person of Christ Jesus. He uses that very language. Very language that he's the temple, he's the tabernacle in which God dwells. The fullness of the Father. And so there, if we have the presence of God, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then we can say we're a building, we are built as a dwelling place for God that has the presence of God. But of course, we can't think, we can't think that all that can just contain who God is, that God is limited in that. But there we see that God's presence, God's presence that is among the church, in the church, that what Paul is praying for, is that they are not simply to be satisfied with just a portion of God, but they are to want all of God. Do you want all of God? All of God. And so here what Paul is really saying is that the, there is a knowledge which surpasses knowledge. And so how do you get that knowledge? How do you get that knowledge? The way that you get that knowledge is you experience it. You don't know what you don't know till you know it. Simple way to understand it, I guess. Think about many times of you've heard someone say, well, I don't like it. I don't want to try that food. No, I've heard that in my house, right? And you'll say back to them, why? Why don't you like it? Have you ever tried it? No, but I know I don't like it. I'm convinced. I'm not going to like it. I'm not convinced that I am going to like it, so I'm not going to try it. But then, one day, out of the blue, you try something that you've refused to try, and you taste it, and you're like, wow. 
That is so good. So the knowledge that you thought you had, you really didn't have it. You thought you knew what that food tasted by some other discretion, by some other judgment. But when you actually experienced the flavors, that became a favorite food of yours. That's how it was with me with avocados. I hated avocados forever. And my wife kept saying, try the avocado. Finally, one day I did, and it's like my most favorite food in the world. I love avocados. But I didn't know that until I experienced it, until I experienced the flavor of it. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I don't want you simply to know about something because you can make wrong judgments. You can make wrong determinations about what you think you know. I want the church to experience it so you can not be deceived, so that you can, you can dwell in the fullness of God. Here the Apostle Paul is making a connection, it seems, that simply to know that God has commanded and that the Holy Spirit strengthens and you receive Christ through faith isn't enough. But you must abide in the love of God. And when that experience takes place, you can truly say that you have been filled with all the fullness of God. God's Everything that God does out of his grace, he does out of the abundance of his love. And the church needs to pray for that. The church needs to pray for experiential knowledge of God's love, not just a conceptual knowledge of God's love, but a love in which it is experienced. Or as the Psalms 38 would say, taste of the Lord and see that he's good. Experience the love of the Lord by experiencing, by living that relationship with him. By seeing the vastness of God's love. And so we need to examine our hearts as a church. We need to examine our hearts and see if the love of Christ is in us. The love that Paul is speaking of. Not the love that we think we know, but the love that we can experience. If it is, then we can be filled. We can be filled with the fullness of God. That's amazing. That's amazing grace. And so let us ask ourselves each day, do we love the Lord Jesus above all things in our life? Not just the things that it's okay, I can do without. But do you love the Lord Jesus above all things in our life? Is our knowledge of Christ's love merely conceptual or is it experiential? Are we satisfied with just a portion of God's presence or do you want it all God's presence? Do you want all of God's presence? Is that even a thought? Well, the church needs to have all of God's presence. And so let us be a praying church that seeks to be strong spiritually. And let our prayers be more than circumstantial. Let them be filled with the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That's what we as a church need to pray for. That's what we need. We need the presence of our 
God. 